What comes to mind when you think about climate change? Polluting factories? Deforestation and floods? Gas-guzzling cars and planes? There's no doubt that on the land and in the sky, climate action is definitely needed to cut down on greenhouse gas emissions. But we also need to consider the other 70% of our planet, our oceans and seas. When we transport goods around the world, we often do so by ship. Actually, between 80 and 90% of global trade happens by sea. And this means that the shipping sector contributes significantly to the greenhouse gas emissions that we desperately need to reduce. So what if we could make shipping greener? Shipping that is not dependent on fossil fuels. This is something that researchers are working hard on. But the shipping sector is what we call a hard-to-abate sector. Changing the way the sector works and cutting emissions will be very difficult. We do have to start somewhere. And one of the great new ideas is to create green shipping corridors on our oceans. A green shipping corridor means that all transport between two ports should be emission-free. After the UN Climate Summit in 2021 in Glasgow, known as COP26, more than 20 countries signed the Clydebank Declaration to establish green shipping corridors. And the Nordic countries have all signed the declaration. They also agreed internally that the Nordics should be frontrunners, creating green corridors in the Baltic Sea and North Sea regions. In this episode, we'll look at the potential for reducing emissions from the shipping sector by sailing green from port to port. I'm Afton Halloran, and you're listening to the Nordic Talks podcast. This is going to be a revolution of the sector. And it's just beginning right now. This voice belongs to Jan Christoph Nipirski. Technology is in place. We, we, we know a lot of, of technology right now. That, 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 that's only the question of putting things together along the whole value chain. Jan Christoph is head of regulatory affairs at the Merz McKinney Müller Center for Zero Carbon Shipping. All researchers at the center have one thing in mind zero emission shipping globally by 2050. An ambitious goal, considering the fact that right now, the shipping industry emits 1 billion metric tons of CO2 each year. This is about 3% of all greenhouse gas emissions. But there are signs that things are changing. The notion of shipping decarbonization, uh, it's really happened quite fast. A few years ago, it was considered as you know, almost impossible, and now there's actually a lot happening. This is Ingrid sidenval Jegu. She's a project director at the Global Maritime Forum, an international nonprofit organization committed to shaping the future of global seaboard and trade. The forum's aim is to increase sustainable long-term economic development and human well-being. Along with Jan Christoph, Ingrid is participating in a Nordic Talks event held in Lisbon and arranged by the UN Global Compact Network in Norway in collaboration with the Norwegian Embassy in Portugal and the Danish and Swedish networks of the UN Global Compact. And according to Jan Christoph, the concept of green shipping corridors must be kickstarted with smaller-scale projects. We would love to see the big shipping lanes in the world decarbonized, but you need to start somewhere below. That's exactly what's happening in the wake of the Clydebank Declaration. 
the signatories have committed to establishing zero-emission maritime routes for ships using clean marine fuels such as methanol, ammonia, and green hydrogen. The aim is to establish six of these corridors by 2025. And then they want to go bigger. So we want to be looking at getting zero-emission ships on the water by the middle of the decade. This is Catherine Palmer. She's global sustainability head at Lloyd's Register in the UK. She's also the shipping lead for the UN high-level climate champion team. With nearly 20 years of experience in the shipping industry, she's an established thought leader and expert on environment and sustainability issues within the maritime sector. We can use these green corridors as those kind of first mover test beds where we don't need to wait for prescriptive regulation to be in place. We could do risk-based kind of approach to test them and, and gain knowledge of which then we can build up the, and understand the policy and regulation needs that we need to put in place for that mass adoption when we move into that diffusion stage of our transition. But we're currently in the emerging phase of the transition where, where we need to have these, um, the, these niche innovation projects, um, testing things and trialing things and piloting. And I think we can achieve that by the mid of the decade, by 2030, to achieve our, our first breakthrough before we get into having you know, the right frameworks in place for, for mass adoption and diffusion through the sector. So how do we establish these corridors? Where should they start first? Let's hear from Ingrid. I think that the first thing that needs to be done is to assess the opportunities and prioritize uh, which green corridors to focus on. And that needs to consider you know, the cost, uh, the fuel availability, the traffic on, on that particular route. And I also think that it needs to consider the, the availability of, of willing stakeholders that are keen to, to take this forward. And uh, the next step would be to, to carry out full feasibility studies. So institutes like the Global Maritime, for, for example, we do some of these, um, and, uh, and my colleagues here on the, on the panel as well. Uh, and then obviously governments have a big role to do that. Governments will need to do some of the work in establishing green corridors. But the private sector actually plays a more important role at this stage. And one of the main players is Maersk, the world's largest shipping company. Maersk recently ordered eight new zero-carbon shipping vessels to be built. And they also set up the research center where Jan Christoph is working. We have now started with two projects, one in Europe, focusing exactly also on the area of the Baltic North Sea. But in order to cover the whole globe, very important for us also to start a project on the other side of the globe. So we have a project in Chile, which is an agreement with the Chile government, the in Ministry of Energy, but also the Ministry of Transport and Foreign Affairs are connected to this. And there we look at right now how we can establish green corridors in Chile. We engaged in the big projects as well. But if you want to show it is possible to decarbonize whole value chain, start maybe even with a national connection in a country, because regulation between the countries is very complicated. Already in one country, it is very complicated. If you think that national regulations are complicated, just consider how complex things get at a global scale, and then add to that politics. And when it comes to green shipping, there are a lot of politics involved. Attempts have already been made to cut shipping emissions by imposing a carbon tax and fuel efficiency standards on the industry. This has been the task of the International Maritime Organization, the IMO. 
But the IMO is dominated by shipping associations and countries with strong shipping interests. Some of them are opposed to climate regulations that increase shipping costs. And up until now, agreement on effective climate change regulations has been difficult to achieve. Still, it's important that negotiations at the highest levels continue, says Ingrid. I think that the IMO has a really important job uh, over the next six months or um, almost a year in revising its greenhouse gas strategy because I think we need the IMO to come out with a, f- with a target of full decarbonization. Uh, that's going to send an important signal. When it comes to green corridors, I think that they don't have to wait for that signal. And I think that's also the beauty of them, that there's so much that can happen on the, on the national um, level and, and even uh, sub-national level and bilateral levels. Um, so I think in the long, ru- long run and for scalability, uh, uh, the IMO is, is crucial, but there is a lot that can be done in parallel. Catherine agrees. All these parallel initiatives will have an effect on the IMO. There's a lot of action that can be done nationally, bilaterally, plurilaterally, without being done under the auspices of the IMO, because the IMO will need the lessons and learn and the experience of the Green Corridors to understand the policy needs that need to be put in place for mass adoption. So the countries behind the Clydebank Declaration are already moving ahead. This will show the IMO what regulations must be introduced at the global level to pave the way for many more green shipping corridors. For that reason, many environmental organizations view the Clydebake Declaration as a milestone for the decarbonization of the maritime industry. First of all, the countries behind the declaration want to create financial incentives for the private sector. This is Jan Christoph. This has to become good business. If you want to convince the stakeholders around, they must see this is good business, not necessarily next year, but then try to convince them that this can become good business uh, on a medium and long-term perspective. So therefore, the financial aspect is super important. So therefore, we also try, we work together with banks, uh, private banks, public banks, private financial institutions, public financial institutions, in order to look at how can we make this better business. And I think it's promising signals we see here. A large shipping company, Maersk, uh, launched this year for the first time green bonds to finance their methanol ship project. And people could think, okay, wow, is this going to fly? Is this going to happen? So they didn't know. They just wanted to test the market. So they launched bonds for about, I think, 70 million euro. They didn't know how this would go, but that could have sold seven times the amount. Seven times the amount. So we need together to look at how we also can put financial products on the shelf to make it good business for anybody, whether, no matter whether you're in the north or in the global south. Of course, the most important thing is to provide fossil fuel-free energy for the ships. The key challenge for the maritime sector is energy production. How on earth are we going to source all the energy we need for this? Just as one example, Uh, One company has uh, ordered 12 green methanol ships in order to source their fuel. You would need all of the green energy produced by the whole state of Denmark, just for the 12 ships. So that's a big challenge, but I'm confident we're able to do it when we think all stakeholders together along the whole value chain. And then this can be an example for many other sectors to decarbonize. So how do you get that clean energy production going? 
Well, according to Catherine, each country should already feel incentivized to produce it. Because the shipping industry, once it gets decarbonized more and more, will be standing in line to buy methanol, ammonia and green hydrogen. Look at this, like you said, from a national perspective, the economic and the industrial opportunity at a country level to, to produce green hydrogen, you know, and, and then being able to put that into a demand market like shipping, where shipping is a, it's a really good, high quality first mover demand market. So, so then that will then plow investment back into the country level to be able to scale up more green hydrogen production because you've got a market there that, that needs it at volume, at scale, and, and will pay for it. So, so I think, I think being able to, you know, this is a huge opportunity, but I think being able to, to articulate the benefit of decarbonizing shipping for more than just emissions reduction potential, but the fact that, you know, the economic opportunity, the coastal resilience, the, the decent work and job creation, that it can, the value that decarbonizing shipping brings to decarbonizing global supply chains and providing resilience to coastal communities, I think that's the proposition that we have. And as a sector, we have a great value proposition and we need to get out there and we need to communicate our, our story and, and our willingness to act and the momentum that we, we have. We just need to keep moving forward. As Jan Christoph mentioned earlier, it was important to establish green corridors both in the north and in the global south. And for Ingrid, this is critical. I would like to emphasize also the need to include developing countries when we consider uh, green corridors going forward. Not only because many of the, uh, um, of the new fuels need to come from developing countries, but also from, from an equity perspective. We need to make sure that the transition is equitable. Ingrid points to the huge investments made by the Nordics. She emphasizes that not every country is in a position to make the same kinds of investments. Obviously, it's not as easy to do that from a developing country context. So I think that that's something that we really need to consider. And there's a role for, for um, development finance institutes, for example. Catherine also finds it important to recognize the diversity of the maritime sector. Not everyone is expected or can move at the same pace. And I think that, and this is what we talk about, you know, a kind of just and equitable transition. You know, not everyone can move at the same pace, but those that can be first movers, make sure that they share their knowledge and their learnings from these first mover projects with those that can't. So we're not leaving anyone behind. And I think that is, is critical to the success of green corridors in these first mover projects. So, so don't do these behind closed doors for your own commercial advantage to advance yourself. You know, you've got to be able to share that knowledge and transfer that knowledge to those that are unable to move, uh, be first movers, and, and therefore they don't get left behind. According to Jan Christoph, there's also a lot that can be done to persuade developing countries to see the potential of green shipping, Recently, he was in Palau, a small island state in the Pacific. And there I had great talks uh, with the government and also the head of the Maritime Authority. And it's interesting to really deep dive into, into their challenges because for, for them there, right now, for instance, talking about market-based measures, wow, then everything becomes more expensive. So how can, how can actually this be, be presented as, some, as good business, as something that also is good business on Palau? 
And actually, there again, the analysis is super important. Look at the energy production potential, how cheap, how expensive can energy be produced, and how much fuel can we then uh, produce there. And actually, at the end of the day, for ma many of the sits that might at first glance look very difficult, can actually become good business cases, because they don't use a lot of energy for land transport, because there is not a lot of land. <laughs> so you can use your energy, your fuels, for shipping much more. And then again, it's important to connect the dots between those who have the money and those who are in the need of money. So financial institutions like the World Bank, others can play a super important role here in order to put financial products on the shelf that people would like to invest in. So where do we stand in the establishment of six green shipping corridors? According to Catherine, there's a lot of room for optimism. I've been in the, the maritime sector for you know, um, a long time, and I would say I'd never seen anything move so quickly as the momentum that is gathering around green corridors. She emphasizes that a lot has already been done since the signing of the Clydebank Declaration last year. And there will be a lot to show the world at the 2022 UN Climate Summit, the COP27, this year. What is key um, and what is happening at the moment, I think we're up to about eight publicly announced consortiums of green corridors that have come together. Most of those have been initiated by the private sector. We are seeing, we've got 24 signatories to the Clydebank Declaration at the moment, and, um, and hopefully um, you know, we will get more um, signatories coming on board by the time we, we reach COP27. And also we'd like to see progress of these consortiums. So by COP27, we can showcase some of the roadmaps that these consortiums have been working on and actually how we start to share best practice. Jan Kustoff couldn't agree more. This is not about the projects. It's not only about decarbonizing Chile or decarbonizing connection between Rotterdam and Estonia. This is about gaining experience. This is about showing that it is possible and then produce blueprints that you can use around the world. And there are also, Norway plays a fantastic role. Look at how many ferry connections are decarbonized in, in Norway today and how much of this experience can be brought to some of the small island states who exactly are in need of experience. How can you decarbonize short sea shipping? Uh, and uh, I think that we, we have really good potential to work on this and I'm really curious how the next two, three years will go because uh, there is a lot, a lot we, we can create for the next decades to come. Of course, it's not a coincidence that Jan mentions Norway as a showcase. As we've heard, the Nordics are among the first movers when it comes to green shipping. The next time I go north, I'm definitely going to take one of those zero emission ferries. But all these efforts need to be scaled up to include ships transporting cargo. And hopefully in the coming years, a greater share of the world's cargo will travel green from port to port. Do you want to organize your own Nordic Talks event? Check out nordictalks.com for all of the resources that you'll need to get started. I'm Afton Halloran. Thanks for listening. <laughs>